If one person has been making a whole lot of sense in the newspaper lately, whenever I read what she says, it's Madison City Council President Sherry Carter. Oh, yeah. It seems like everyone's on the left and the right. They're losing their heads right now and can't seem to come to grips with the reality on the streets. And Sherry Carter always seems to have the right balance of supportive and respecting the protests, but understanding we live in a real world that has real regulations and rules in it. Well, it just so happens we have the first woman African-American city council president in Madison history as our guest today. I know, I'm really excited about this. We'll ask her about Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, the police and protests in Madison, and where we go from here on this week's Center Stage with Milford and Hands, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics. I'm Scott Milford. I'm the editorial page editor for the State Journal. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And we are half of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. The moron vacation half. Oh, that's right. You're in Michigan right now. <laughs> I'm an hour ahead of you guys right now. I'm ahead of your times. Sherry Carter, raised in Madison. Her family has lived on the South Side for four decades. She's a West High and UW-Madison grad with a degree in economics. She's been a leader in library, housing, and neighborhood planning boards. She was one of the first two African-American women elected to the city council in 2015 and now serves as president. And the State Journal editorial board, I'm happy to say, was smart enough to endorse you, Sherry, back when you challenged and beat the incumbent alder. We wrote back then that you made a convincing case that you would best represent the voice of the people on the South Side while encouraging development and better engaging young people. Sherry Carter, welcome to Center Stage with Milford and Hans. Thank you. What got us thinking about inviting you was Dean Moseman's profile right after you became the city council president. And by the way, we have that now on the website. If you go to go.madison.com slash Sherry, S-H-E-R-I, you can read Dean's piece from late May. Dean Moseman, our longtime City Hall reporter. I learned a lot about you in that. I didn't realize your roots were so deep in Madison. And you told Dean that you love Madison. We often hear and we see statistics that Madison is one of the best places to live in America, but not necessarily for black people. What's your take on that? My parents came here in the 50s. And my dad was raised in a small town in Louisiana. Uh, he was raised during segregation. Um, so when he came to Madison, um, with my mother, obviously, but when he came to Madison, he felt Madison was a breath of fresh air compared to what he had experienced. Mm -hmm. And so by that, he has always said he loved Madison. So we grew up with that phrase. Now, does that mean that Madison was the utopia? No. But compared to what he had to go through, Madison was a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. He passed away at 97, but he experienced drinking out of colored-only water fountain, going to the restroom for colored-only. So going from that to Madison it is totally a different environment at that time. Was there a, a pretty solid African-American community in Madison when your parents came here in the 1950s? Well, I think it was pretty solid. It was more you knew everybody. Of course, it wasn't a 
large population, but it was a population that was easily welcoming to new people who came here. So like anything in the 50s, my parents lived in the bush. Yeah. That was the most diverse neighborhood that Madison had in the 50s. How about you, Sherry, growing up in Madison, going to UW, launching your career? What was your experience like? My experience is probably typical. I think that you have to be self-motivated and you have to always justify what you know and not be dismissed because of the color of your skin. I think that you always are justifying that you are an expert in whatever field that is. Obviously, the African-American population is not enormous here, so you are always integrated here. I had a pretty good childhood and growing up, I came from a very motivated and positive family environment. My parents were helicopter parents before we knew what helicopter parents were. So now I know what to label them. (laughs) Always in your business, huh? Yes. Did you experience racism in Madison growing up? I'm sure I did. Racism can come overtly and racism can come very subtle. Or passive aggressive. (laughs) Or passive aggressive. I think that you can determine something that is racism in the sense of someone um, as growing up as having a friend and then going over to their house and then not be invited back. Yeah. So it's not always overt and in your face. It comes in many different forms. Uh huh. You're taking over leadership of the city council at a very turbulent time, I would say. How about the broader issues that are going on and that you're in the middle of as leader of the city council? Black Lives Matter, the police and protests in Madison, the national conversation about the police killing in Minneapolis of George Floyd. One of the things that I reflect on is the fact that the civil rights movement never ended. It is a very fluid movement because there's always work to be done. I think that at this time, Instead of the work being done in a manner that is acceptable, now it's in the street. I think that there has been outcry over the years of different African Americans being killed. But I think that because of cell phones, now it is in your face. Because of Mm -hmm. cell phones, it's no longer did you hear because we actually see. And because of social media, you see it again and again and again. Yeah, that's a really good point. This has caused people to come out and actually put their lives on the line in some cases to say this is wrong and this needs to stop. George Floyd, for a lack of a better description, was the straw that broke the camel's back. It seems like the majority of Americans, the vast majority, want to see real systemic change in the way that things are being done. And I think a lot of people are are supportive of changing the way police practices are being done. But I think a lot of people are also sort of turned off by some of the more 
egregious, violent aspects of some of these protests, setting fire to buildings and, and tearing down statues. How do we move forward from here to make sure that the change people want to see gets accomplished? Moving forward, we have to really look at federal laws. We have to look at state laws. We have to see what municipalities can do. That's where the real change happens. There is no etiquette book on how to protest. We all have what we think is the right way to protest. But when I talk to my cousins who were adults in the 60s, they didn't write a book when they protested the Vietnam War. So we don't have a, a book on how to protest correctly and politically correctly. So what I say is, do I think that, you know, looting is, is all right? Probably not. Do I think that violence can get violence? Yes. But I have to go back to John Lewis, who made a statement during the Civil Rights Movement that his mother told him, if you're going to cause trouble, cause good trouble. Mm -hmm. If you're going to cause trouble, make sure that trouble results in benefits for the community. And so although we feel that protest that has happened, from May 27th forward, I think that we also have to look at what's making them angry. That's the root of it. I think we get sidetracked when we start saying, oh, they shouldn't have done this, we shouldn't have done that, we shouldn't have done that. It's really what is the root of all this? And we always have to go back to, we can go back to several incidences, but let's go back to George Floyd. So after the protest, what do we do? Where do we go from there? And from there, we have to go to the halls of the legislators, to the halls of our st state representatives, to the federal government, to the municipalities, to uh, the county governments, because that's where the real change is going to take place. So we we understand that, and I think it's hard to say go there because that sounds a lot like the same old, same old, but it is where laws are changed. The civil rights movement not only benefited us African-Americans to an extent, but it opened up a whole new world for a whole lot of people. How about the Madison Police Department? Are they doing a good job? Are they not? When you look at the police departments in general, they do a fairly good job. But I also think that you have to look beyond, are you good or bad? You uh -huh. have to really peel off the layers. And sometimes we don't have that patience to peel off the layers. We'd rather lump everyone in the same boat, so to speak. So I do think there's room for reform. There's always room for improvement in, in anything that we, we do. And in any profession, you should be open to that. How do you react to the phrase defund police? Well, I think that is one of the phrases that is across this nation, isn't it? And so it's either defund the police or ban the police. I like to restructure. There are things in the police department that we can move around to other areas that would be just as effective. Wisconsin has done community policing since Chief Cooper, which sounds like it was a million years ago, but it wasn't because I hear he's still alive. But he brought in community policing, and that was a new concept. So I do believe that we can restructure. 
I think that there's some positive things that can come out of it. We need that time to think about what do we want to change about the police and what do we want to keep. But I don't think that when you look at the 250,000 residents in the city, that some of them still believe in and and having a, a public safety and some of them are saying defund and some of them don't even know what's happening and so when you get all those together you have to balance that and that's what we're going to be looking at you have proposed a city task force to hear from the black community and you said in the paper that you want to ensure that concerns of the black community are not co-opted by a few and that we hear from the community itself and not so-called representatives Could you just elaborate on that a bit? Well, we're still working out the fine details, so to speak. But what I really, my vision is to really find out the stories, the experiences that African-Americans are experiencing in Madison. There are certain things that we know. We know that African-Americans are 10 times more likely to have a traffic stop and four times more likely to get a citation. There's little things that we already know statistically. What I'm looking for is finding out what those experiences are and not third hand, but if we can get it from the people who have that experience. Sometimes we craft policies without knowing what the impact is. You always have to take in consideration how it's going to impact, who's not at the table, who's unable to come to the table. Mm -hmm. So that's what this task force is about. Is there anything specific right now that you know you want to get done related to police in Madison or the larger community? Well, I think I want to wait until we get the task force together because I really want to have an open mind. How about the PFC? There's some people that want to change it or dismantle it or start over. Do you have a view of the Police and Fire Commission? I really don't. I was under the impression that that was a state directive. I think that with the Citizen Oversight Board and with the um, monitor, I think that that is more important to get up and running. I'm not saying that the PFC is perfect, but I want to put my energy in those other two things. You voted against that work group to create the independent monitor, didn't you, in the oversight board? What was your concern there? I wanted to see that work group uh, larger. It's a three-member work group. I wanted to see it five members. And I wanted to see it more representative of the communities that feel that they are over-policed. But I'm not against the work. One of the issues so far is who should get subpoena power and who shouldn't. Do you have a position on that? You know, I really don't. I think our attorney came out with a compromise, and I don't know if the work group is accepting it. But to make the organization have the subpoena power and not an individual. The final results of any disciplinary action is going to be the PFC because that's the body that can do it at this moment. Given that police cameras 
on officers uh, was cited by the district attorney up in Minneapolis as providing some evidence that helped him charge the officers in the case of George Floyd. Is there any more momentum to put cameras on patrol officers in Madison? I think that at the time that we are in, that the body cameras are something that will eventually happen. We're in challenging times right now, but we're also in exciting times. I think we tend to look at the negative. We are really in exciting times because we are in a time where almost everyone agrees about change. And for Madison, when I say everyone, that is... uh, unique. <laughs> One thing I like about Madison is that we all have opinions and we're, we we don't have a problem voicing it. Yeah. So um, We work on that page, so we know that. <laughs> I know you're not on the school board, but were you happy to see that the police are leaving the high schools or did you not support removing the police officers? Well, I won't say I was happy. I, I support um, MMSD and their decision if you choose not to have the police in the schools, then what replaces it? We don't know. So it's kind of uneasiness to wait to hear what replaces the police. This debate on the police being in the schools and not in the schools has a long history. And one of the things that is always left out is some of the other activities that the police have done in the schools. In the paper, you were very supportive of the downtown recovery plan. That was the $500,000 to help businesses downtown on State Street to help with some of the damages that were caused during the vandalism and the looters. Is that going to pass? You know, I was very supportive of that. I mean, I think we have to also look at the health of the city of Madison. And so regardless of how it started, State Street is very iconic. Visitors from all over the world want to stroll down State Street. I often tell people that I don't go down State Street a lot, but I can tell you whenever my college buddies come back into the city, we're going down State Street. Okay, that's that's where they want to be. And um, what's your bar, Sherry? <laughs> I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go out for a beer together when it's all when all this virus is all over? That sounds great. <laughs> but my point is that because State Street is such an economic incubator for the city, that I just felt that we have to provide some kind of assistance. I mean, any time that you go down, I mean, when I first went down State Street, and I can't tell you the date, but um, it was a Sunday, it seemed like the top half of State Street had been boarded up. The next time I went down State Street, literally, it was all of State Street. And that is something that I think that we have to really look at closely, not only the jobs that State Street provides, but also the, it's a tourist attraction. And us residents gets to go down there too. So I'm hoping that it will pass. I think it's important. And I think it's not just a bunch of buildings, but it's also people who live there, people who work there, a lot of people of color who own businesses there. And 
um, from what I read um, in the paper, a lot of, I think, 40 businesses are considering not coming back yep. on top of vacancies we already had. So yeah. my fingers are crossed. I still support it, though. One of the things that the state journal has been pushing along with body cameras for the longest time is, is uh, turning State Street into a pedestrian mall, which you support removing the buses off of State Street and, and letting it be a, a space just for pedestrians to walk up and down? There was a street over by UCLA that was just like that. And they recently turned it into, which I thought was interesting, diagonal parking. I don't know the technical word for it. And everyone got excited about diagonal parking. So I have no idea if that was a 1950s thing that brought back memories or what. I think that State Street, it, we need to reconstruct State Street, whether it's pedestrian or parking on one side or removing the buses from State Street. But I do think that State Street is, is time for it to come into the new State Street. How about the statues downtown? Michael Johnson just proposed a statue of Vell Phillips. If the forward statue is put back up, if the Hans Christian Hegg statue is put back up, under current rules, they can't add one. But of course, they can change the rules. So what about adding Vell Phillips, who was the first black woman in the nation elected to statewide office. She also was the first black woman to graduate from UW Law School. Lots of other things she did. What do you think of that? First of all, it's you know, a decision that the state has to make. But I do think that we should really be looking at creating space for several of our trailblazers in the city of Madison. We don't have that right now. And I think that opens up that conversation, um, not only for the state, but also for the city and the county. We have McPike Park, we have Wright School. We need more. And I think by having more, it becomes embracing the diverse culture of the city. And we don't have that visibility and I think that's what's missing. Did you know Val? I did not know Val. Okay. My parents knew Val. I think it's interesting because even though Val was no longer in state service, that she had a political breakfast almost, I think it was every week or twice a month, something like that in Milwaukee, even up to the point where, you know, her health was failing. That's how much that she did the deep dive into politics. How's the South Side doing? You represent the South Side. You grew up there. We're fighters on the South Side. That's what I'm going to tell you. We are survivors on the South Side. And that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love it. I think we're doing good. I think we're at maybe 50, 60 percent. There's so much to be improved, and that's why the South Madison plan revised. I think that is so exciting because of what we're trying to bring to the South Side. It's long overdue. South Campus Madison College was the perfect location to build, and yeah. it sets the standard. And then we're looking at different things coming our way. You got the Truman Olson development. Mm -hmm. So my hope for the South Side 
is not that we displace anybody, but improve the quality for everybody. And it's rich with culture. The things that we need is more walkable employment, improved transportation, but the whole city needs improved transportation. How about COVID-19? It's getting worse and the African-American community has been hit harder. Is the county and state doing what they should? I think we're doing the best we can with this disease that is so unknown and we're trying to figure it out as we go and as it progresses. But I think that one of the things that we have to do is not only the government, the municipalities, the county, public health, et cetera, but we also need organizations to get the word out. We also need organizations to step up and distribute masks. Health-wise, we're the hardest hit. There's a lot of reasons for that. And, but we have to be diligent in getting the word out about you wearing masks, not only for older adults. I, I've always felt that when they first came out back in January about it, only affecting older adults was a big misstep because mm -hmm. diseases don't care. We all know that, what age you are, what race you are, what gender you are. So I think that it's up to organizations and everyday citizens to make sure that we are all protecting ourselves, whether that it's social distancing, wearing masks. Do I think masks need to be mandatory? I need to look into that a little bit more. But I do know we need to wear masks whenever we go out. We have a lot of health issues in the African-American community. And those health issues compromise our system. Mm -hmm. And that is what we have to really be cautious of and really get the word out, especially the grassroots level, because the grassroots level is in the streets helping people every day. How do you think the relatively new mayor is doing? Oh, Scott, Scott, <laughs> Scott, Scott. Simple <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, I'm leading up to any chance you'll run for mayor someday. Oh, my goodness. There are so many things that I have to concentrate on right now. We are $30 million deficit. Um, COVID is running rampant, whether we like to say that or not. I think that I have 1,500 things on my plate right now. And if that time ever comes, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll pass on the mayor question. How about this one? What do you think white people in Madison, generally speaking, what do we not understand about the experience of African-Americans in Madison? Well, you know what? I think here's two things. I think that if you, in your personal circle, if you don't have anyone of color in your personal circle, then you need to enlarge your personal circle mm -hmm. because that broadens understanding right there. I think that just because incidents don't happen to you personally or your family members, you shouldn't discount those incidents. And I think that happens a lot. I think the assumption is if somebody's arrested, we automatically goes to their guilty. Sometimes that's not true. 
So I think they have to have an open mind. They have to broaden their circle and they have to do their own um, research. There's a African-American bookstore, one of the oldest ones in the nation in San Francisco called, I believe it's Marcus. And the owner, uh, the daughter is now running it. And she said, I am selling more books to white folks Mm. than I've ever sold Mm. (laughs) before. You got to do your research. And, And if you don't understand, then you need to seek out understanding. And I think that's something that we get set in our ways. We get set in our routines. We even get set in who our friends are. And so we end up having an insulated viewpoint. Mm -hmm. So I say get out and live and and broaden your circle. And if there's no African-Americans or people of color in your workplace, ask why. This is a good example because the protests around the country shows you the diversity of this world that we live in. What can Madison do to attract more young African-Americans to move to our city. For instance, I had a colleague, cartoonist colleague of mine who was looking to move to a college town somewhere and considered Madison for a while, but said, eh, it doesn't seem like it's a good place for black people to live. So what can Madison do to make sure that smart, young African-Americans want to feel welcomed here and move here? That's a loaded question, Phil. I think that <laughs> I think there is first of all when you're young you want to be in the city right you want to be in a city that is super diverse has a lot of young people in it and we've all been young before and we all know that feeling I think that one of the things that Madison needs to do is really be open to venues that attract not only the job, the job is one thing, but everyone wants to have a social life, Mm -hmm. right? So we need to be open to having those venues that people of color like to support. And we don't have a lot of that. And so I think that that's what makes Madison so attractive to families, right? Because it's peaceful here, so -hmm. to speak. Um, lots of things for kids to do. We need to turn that around and make it lots of things for young people to do because that will attract young people and, and it will attract um, African-American prof- young professionals also. I will just end with saying that Madison is in a unique position. We need to seize the moment. We need to make sure that we do everything we can why the moment is right. It was a long time coming. We've done great strides in the past, but the energy right now, it is so right to do things that will improve the lives of African-Americans. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. We appreciate you taking some time, Sherry, and all the work you do. Thank you, Sherry. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. You you sure you won't tell us what your bar is downtown that you like to go to? Oh, that won't be told today. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe off the record later, Scott. We'll get a drink later. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Our theme music is by Tube Tester. 
Find and follow Center Stage with Milford and Hands on your favorite podcasting app or punch into your computer or cell phone go.madison.com slash center stage. 